Hey folks, we are back, and this time we have Mr. Chris Pollitt with us, um, an old friend of Retro Rides from way back. Um, he's done a variety of work in the motoring industry, um, primarily as a journalist, currently editor at Car and Classic website, and he is also the man behind the rather wonderful Not Too Grand blog. So welcome, Chris. Hello. Good morning. How are things uh, in your neck of the woods? Uh, busy, always busy, but... Uh... Uh busy is good busy busy is good busy um, is always good right i'm going to start with our first question of why cars why do you like cars where did all that come from oh that's a good question um i don't I, i'd love to i'd love to say it's the classic thing of um my dad was into cars or something like that but growing up my dad wasn't really into anything but of all the things he wasn't into there was a there was a sort of small blip on the on the graph over cars so i guess i sort of picked it up from there but then i i i i, I took that i took that inch of enthusiasm and, and turned it into the rest of my life <laughs> um you know toy cars anything with cars on tv um drawing cars talking about cars looking at cars boring my parents to death with every conversation being about cars and uh, yeah, it just spiraled wildly out of control um, to the point where at fourteen I started buying them um, because that was sensible. Um, and yeah, it, it's just been there sort of ever since. I've always been a fan of sort of underdog cars, cheap cars, um, because I've never had any money. So um, as much as I, you know, would look at a uh, Ferrari F40 and go, "That's beautiful," that would be the end of my interest. Um, yeah, and then when a Montego Turbo drove past, I'd run after it, <laughs> like a like a um, a dog, um, yeah. barking at its wheels. Basically. Um, so, what what was your first car that you bought at fourteen? My first car at fourteen was um, a bit of backstory. I started a weekend job at a scrapyard that my my dad knew the owner of, um, and I I got a little weekend job there. And on my first day. Uh, my first Saturday there, I saw this vision in the yard, this this stunning example of uh, of British motoring, a, a staple of 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 how we got it right, and it was a brown Triumph Dolomite. Perfect. Yeah, forty pounds later, that sucker was mine. Lovely. Um, Ninety minutes later, I'd driven it into a wall, so it was a short-lived romance. That's a, that's a quick way to spend forty pound. Well, at least you know a scrapyard you could take it to. Um, it, that's it. Went straight back there. It was it was a heartbreaking, deeply emotional day. That's that actually sucks. Uh, so, what was the I'll, first I'll, car you didn't crash? The first first car I didn't crash. Ooh, crash them all, David. Um, well, yeah. You know. um, <laughs> I did fear that question. I was thinking this could actually turn out very badly. Yeah. I mean, there are many I didn't crash because I didn't have a chance to, you know, I never drove them. Like the, after the after the Dolomite and after being shouted at by my father for buying a Dolomite, I uh, I then went out and bought a Capri for again forty pounds. Um, but I never drove that, and it was a hideous rock box. Um, yet curiously, um, MCW two three six P still remember the reg. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> like like twenty years on twenty. Three years on, um, yeah, I, I'd liked buying them and just you know before the years before passing my test, I liked having them and just tinkering with them and working on them and and I just liked having them. I saw it as a sort of extension of of it. It, it was it was part of my personality. I felt like I needed them almost um, just to sort of validate my constant going on about cars. Um, you know, I had dreams that it would make me incredibly popular at school. You know, let's Chris, he's got the cars, but it was soon. Let's Chris, he has a load of crap cars. Um, <laughs> um, first car, first car that I drove was a mini, um, because you have you have to have a mini. It's I think um, the law. I think somewhere in the highway code, I think on page one or two, says you have to yeah. have a mini. Yeah, you have to, and uh, and it was it was suitably terrible. Um, it was it was your archetypal old car that somebody has given a blow over to make look good for sale, and then it will last nine minutes. 
Lovely. So within <laughs> within a week, no no hyperbole. Not not saying this to be uh, to be entertaining. Uh, genuinely, within a week, the driver's door fell off. <laughs> um, and being being the ingenious uh, young men we were, me and my best mate Paul, we just opted to weld it back on, um, ignoring the the ergonomic implications of that. So I just got in and out of the passenger side. <laughs> <laughs> See that is the sort of thing you do when you're a youth, and it's fine. It doesn't matter. No, when you're in your forties and doing something like that, ah, it still doesn't matter really. It's just cars. Cars are stupid. That was that was the same car that I was taking my uh, I was taking my girlfriend home one night, and I heard a I heard a smashing of glass, um, and I just figured it was part of the of the background noise on my uh, on my Limp Biscuit CD because that's what I listened to at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I figured it was just it was it was a an oral accoutrement to Fred Durst, um, and then when I got home, I realised the headlight had fallen out. Oh, nice, nice! Uh, it was probably Fred Durst that did it. That guy was a prick. Yeah, he just wants yeah. to break stuff. It's, yeah, he just it, wants to break stuff. He, he, he told you, he warned you. Yeah, can't take him anywhere. No, he just wanted something to break. And <laughs> turn, turns out it was your mini headlight. Uh, so. You are loading, owning a load of pretty nonsense old cars that are all vaguely breaking, as we all vaguely did at some point. Um, and then suddenly you're a car journalist. How does that happen? Where, where's, what's the gap in between? Um, I, I always wanted to work with cars again because I saw it as, uh, I guess back then I saw it as a sort of validation of, of my passions and thought it's what I should do, it's where I should go. So I got a job at the... I worked at a few dealerships near where I used to live up in Oldham. Um, and this was back in the days when you could write a, write a CV, print off 20 copies and send it, and then people would get back to you. It's not like the recruitment agency hell that it is today. So I got sort of work experience things, and then I got jobs, and I worked for Ford for a while for for a big dealership in Oldham, um, and I worked for Nissan, and it, you know it was it was nice. It was nice working with cars. I liked all that, um, and then I moved to Bristol, um, and I got another job in a Subaru garage, um, which I hated because there were just awful people there. Nothing to do with the brand. It was just. An awful bunch of people in that garage, and uh, and it's gone bust now. So I was right. Whoa. Yay! Um, but when <laughs> Suck I was it, Subaru dealership, but but I, I, I did that, and then and then I went to a Skoda garage, which was interesting because that was Skoda and MG Rover at the time. MG Rover went bump. Nice. So so we didn't close because we still had Skoda, but we had a lot of MG Rover customers to deal with. So, um. But the point being, I was there, and I then was talking to some of the people there, and it, there was this conversation about what I'd really want to do, and I said I'd love to work in car magazines, and I, it sort of stuck. And I'd grown up reading things like Revs and Practical Classics and sort of very hands-on do-it-yourself magazines. Um, and uh, Classic Ford was another one that I'd been reading, and, and Retro Ford, which was new at the time. So I applied for work experience on Classic Ford in, in, in Bath and and I got it. So I did two weeks with them and then I did two weeks with Redline magazine. Um, at the same time, the, the Classic Ford thing turned into freelance and then the freelance got me enough work to justify an interview with Retro Ford and then I ended up working for Retro Ford. And that was sort of my in into, into journalism, if you will. That's lovely. That's uh, that's wonderful stuff. So um, I've actually got a question from um, Ian Seabrook from that there Hubnut. Um, yeah. As I'm ch- as I'm chaining questions through these uh, these podcasts, and um, he said, "Can you remember your first feature that you had published and the feeling at the time?" The first feature I ever had published was uh, I'm going to say first proper feature, not like just some column inches because I did a, yeah. a fair fair bit of that. The first actual feature where I went out on a photo shoot and wrote about a car was um I now can't remember the chap's name, but the car still exists. It was a one hundred E. Um so two door one hundred E um in Gloucester and we shot it in the sort of derelict dock Docklands area and it had a two eight cologne in it. Um 
but it was a really well engineered bit of kit and it was um it was shot by a chap called Simon Dodd who's who's not with us anymore unfortunately. Oh um but I remember it vividly. I remember watching the shoot unfold and how it happened and yeah, it was it was it was mad to be there. It was it was a proper sort of oh my god, this is happening kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then to see it, a to see it in a magazine was incredible because again, that's a sort of like holy crap, I've done it kind of moment. But then to read it and see that um, Steve Phillips and Gareth Charlton, who were on the mag at the time, um, hadn't changed my words all that much. That was Absolutely. that was that was a sort of I might actually be all right at this. Um, I can do this job. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's always learning. It's you know I, I I've been doing it for fifteen years now or whatever, and you know I don't take any shame in saying I still have the dictionary app on my phone. If I hear a word that I've never heard before, I'm like, what's that word? How can I use it? It's yeah. it's it's always learning. You've always got to be evolving. That's how you stay. Uh, that's how you stay relevant. Yeah, I think so. There's always a thing where you're, you know, occasionally you'll just read somebody else's stuff and you're like, oh, oh, okay, that's written like that. I can not necessarily rip it off, but like that's kind of inspiring to to try something like that, maybe. I, I mm. think that that's like, even when you've been doing it for a very long time, not that I have, but uh, um, I occasionally dip my toe. You've, you've um, got to keep keep going and keep trying to it keeps It maintains your enthusiasm for it as well. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're very right, and I, and I I kind of think that um, it's one of those things in journalism that uh, or writing in all sorts that you can keep up as well. It, it's not that you become an absolute master. I think you're always learning, a bit like you know any art kind of creative thing. Yeah, um, you would have to be an exceptionally arrogant person to say you knew everything about writing. You um, met you met some it, journalists, right? Yeah, it's um, you know it's it, it's not possible. There's always new ways of explaining yeah. things and telling stories and what you know. I once wrote a story from the point of view of the car. Nice, I like um, that. Which was an Anglia 105e for for Retroford, and I, I still remember that vividly because I started writing it and I was, my brain's like, "What are you doing, man?" And it's like, "No, I'm in it now. Go, go, keep going." And <laughs> doing it. Did they publish that? Uh, they did. Yeah. Amazing, because I know that um, some magazines like you'll write something and they'll be like. I like it, but I'm not sure the readers are going to appreciate what you've done here. You're like, okay, I can see that. I can see that. Uh, that's awesome. That's an awesome idea. I love it. Um, so somewhere along the line, um, uh, in the time that I've known you, uh, Not Too Grand came up. Um, yes. And where did that idea come from? Because it's an exceptionally good idea. <laughs> um, and like, what would... I mean, how did you start? Like, how did you launch it? And you know, what what pushed you over the that particular cliff edge? Um, it's it, it was a it was a two pronged thing that st- started it off. Um, first of all, the sort of basis for it is I've and and as as you'll know because you've met many motoring journalists, um, I don't have any money and never have had. Um, <laughs> but there is a disparity that that between not having any money and not wanting nice and not wanting nice things and outside outside eyes think that to have no money means to be poor and just because we've got no money doesn't mean we want to project that mm. so not too grand was something i set up because i'm constantly looking at cheap cars and it's it's like you know you can get a cheap car you can get a car for not a lot of money but you can still have something that you can park on your driveway, and the neighbours will go, "Oh, what's he got?" Mm. You know, you can you can still have a nice, fully loaded car. It'll just be a bit older. You know, you don't have to buy a knackered Mondeo. Or, I mean, I'd have a knackered Mondeo all, every day of the week. Um, but you know, you don't have to have some awful rust bucket. And that was that was what Not Too Grand was set up for to to sort of sing the praises of, you know, look at what you can get. It's it's that kind of thing. Um, and the other reason I set it up was I was working on Retro Ford at the time and also Performance Ford. And uh, and and this is where a load of people turn off. I was sick of Mark 1 Escorts and RS Turbos. Um, yep. I, needed, 
I needed to write about something else. I was I was losing my enthusiasm for writing because I was writing about the same cars. Um, and there's only so many times you can write about a Mark One Escort that's that's got a Burton Power engine or a Harris engine, and it's on thirteen inch steels, lowered South London look, or it's got bubble arches and it's a rally car. And with the newer stuff, every Focus ST was Attic Intercooler, Ibac Lowering Springs, Oz Superlegeras, Bluefin Remap, every one of them. And uh, and I just needed something to sort of zhuzh me up and make me enthusiastic about writing again. So that's where Not Too Grand came about, because I was my own boss. Um, and I could write about what I want, however I wanted to write. Um, and it just started off as a little blog. It was on it was on Blogger, I think. Um and it's it's just grown ridiculously. It's it's like actually a business now. Yeah, I, I think it's because it sort of taps into um, an interesting kind of area because there's people like yourself that um, don't have a lot of money to spend on cars but want something nice, um, mm. something they can enjoy. Um, then there's people that want a second car and actually probably don't have a lot of money to spend on it necessarily. Yeah. Um and there's people that just like the challenge of finding bargain cars. Like even if they have a reasonable yeah. amount of money, they might just be like actually so it crosses a nice demographic of um interest, but also it has a very, very nice thing that it moves forward in time. Um yes. it's not it's not stuck in an era like some certain websites might be. Um no. and uh it, it makes it much easier for you to kind of engage both with brands and with um manufacturers and with um content like across the ages which i i, yeah. I really appreciate it for i think it's uh it's a really nice it's a nice approach i like it yeah it's it, it's funny you say that about the the sort of approach and reach because that that all changed over the last five years at first i was i was very staunch about um you know, it has to be cars that have just now dropped into two grand. And since then, I've, I've opened it up. So now it's just anything. So it's like, you know, uh, an old Volvo or, or whatever. Just anything that interests me, really. Um, yeah. And, and stick it up there. And, and people like it. And it's, you know, it's written probably, each article's probably, you know, 30% fact, 70% me waffling. But I, I try and do it in a entertaining way. It's... I want it to be a site that people go on and because they like cars and and it reminds them of that. I, it's not. I'm not trying to be Parker's or what car. Um, no. And I, I think it would be ludicrous to try and be with cheap cars anyway. You, know, you you buy a cheap car, there's always the inherent risk that the engine will fall out. That's the nature of the beast. Um, but the site is very self-aware and it knows that. So. Yeah, I think it, in fact we've just done. Um... Uh, Ian from from Hubnut uh, interview as well, and it's a similar kind of thing. It's like an awareness that these cars are what they are. They have mm. their their foibles, and some people might think they're crap, but they're not necessarily. Um, it's just that level of self not 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 taking oneself too seriously. I feel is probably the best approach to these kinds of sort of cars. This sort of I don't know. Like, I find that with the the generally with the retro scene as well. Like, we we take ourselves seriously to a certain degree, mm. but also we know what we're doing is ridiculous. Like, it's yeah. it's a it's a ridiculous thing. It's not what everyone else is doing because it's ridiculous. It's not that they're foolish. They're probably correct, but we're still doing it because we love it. Yeah, and that's 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 the thing. It's you know I think with you know, like with the retro cars thing and with, with older cars, there's, there's a level of enjoyment there. And that's that's the way, certainly we're not too grand, that's the way I'm trying to shift it. It's, you know, we have these cars because they're fun and they're an experience and it's great to say you've had one and, and then you move on to the next thing when the engine falls out or when you get bored of it. It's, mm. you know, it's not, it's not, we're not, you know, vehemently against cars and finance. Or I mean, I don't get that. But, you know, I don't, if, if that's your, if that's your mojo, then, then go and get your car and finance. I don't care. It don't bother me. Um, I just like cheap cars and talking about them. There's there's this fantastic world of stuff out there. Cars that people were excited about when they were on Top Gear 15 years ago and they've forgotten about. And now it's like, well, you can get that car. Like an RX-8, you can get that car now for 1,500 quid. Yeah, the engine will blow up, but until it does, you, know, you, can, you can scratch that itch. And people yeah. are like, wow, I didn't realise. 
Um, and there's great stuff like E39 BMW just wrote about that went mental. And everyone going, they're brilliant car, last, last car you'll ever need. And they're not wrong if you buy a nice one. Yeah. Yeah. We, and talking of cars whose engines will blow up, um, but they're fun until you get them. You can get an S Class Mercedes from about 2002 for about two grand. Oh, and... you'd have to have completely taken leave of your senses, but what a car. Exactly. It's like it's like it fits in, but at the same time, it's effectively just a grenade. So, do you keep yeah. it for six months and then hope somebody else wants to take it off your hands, or do you, does it blow up in your face? I think that's it's... the gamble, isn't it? You can you yeah. can have six months and laugh, or you can have six months and have to live in it. Yeah, yeah. That's at the end at the end of the uh, the time you're now living in your S class. At least the seats are comfy. Well, yeah, um, that is, they are class leading seats. <laughs> um, I have actually got a, a question from Rob Richardson way back when because we uh, postponed oh, his podcast. Racer eighty six, Mister Racer eighty six. Um, that's a lovely podcast to anybody uh, listening to this because you know Chris. Have a listen to the uh, Rob Richardson one. He is a lovely chap. Um, anyway, his question is: As a man that flirts with danger in the used car market, what has been your worst not two grand purchase, and what did you learn? My, I didn't learn anything. I never do. Um, <laughs> if I did, I'd just have a decent car. Um, it, uh, the worst one. Oh, how do you how do you pick? There've been some terrible ones. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I once bought an E thirty eight seven forty for four hundred quid, and the battery was flat, so I brought it home and left it on the driveway running, and it blew the end cap off the radiator. <laughs> um, so I had that for all of twenty minutes. Um, I had another E38 that was incredibly flammable because it was leaking fuel everywhere. Um, I, but I think the the one that I got most invested in, and and this is weird because I've got another now, and I'm doing exactly the same with it, um, would be the first Rover 800 Vitesse that I had. I've got this weird attraction to late 90s British Leyland stuff. I know it's not British Leyland by that point, but that is a very strange kink to have, my friend. I don't know why I've always loved them. They, they they were just trying so hard, bless them. <laughs> it's like it's like a pity. It's like oh, it is. come it on, is. come on, you can do this. You know, it's 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 like when you go to the dog's home and there's a there's a perky little Jack Russell there, or there's a there's a spaniel in the corner that's a bit matted and it's got half its ear missing. And you're like, no, oh. you know. It's, <laughs> But yeah, I bought, I bought, um, I just, we just had, no, we hadn't, she hadn't, she wasn't born yet, she was about to be born, my, my, my daughter, and I thought, I need a family car, so what's more sensible than a Rover 800 Vitesse? Um, and I found one in Sheffield, and I paid 700 quid for it, there's a lot of sevens in this, I paid 700 quid for it, um, and drove it from Sheffield to Bristol, noticed it was getting a bit hot, so straight away, wah, wah. Um, and I had it for se- I paid seven hundred quid for it. Had it for seven months, and it worked for seven days. <laughs> um, it 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 was hoofing water out. Um, not the head gasket before anyone says because T series isn't a head gasket. But I cooked it because I ignored it. So then it did need a head gasket. So then I got it into work. Um, this is when I worked at the NG Rover place, and they put a new head gasket on it, and I spent about 450 quid on it. Um, did it again, and I took it out for a test drive, and it blew the head gasket again. Um, <laughs> so then I stuck it around the side of my house, and it sat there forever, and I sold it to some banger racers for 200 quid. Oh, um, that's, yeah, that's, and I get it, the, the second part of the question of what did you learn, clearly nothing, because you have another, and... I, I have another and, experiences. I have another, and if you took the number plates off, they could be the same car, same color, same spec, same everything. Um, weirdly, the one I've got now, um, which is a, a V plate '99 Vitesse Sport, the one I've got now, I've somewhere I've got a photograph of it of the one I've got now with the one I used to have because the one I've got now used to live around the corner from me. An old guy had it. So that's why I bought it when I saw it on eBay because thought, oh, an old guy's had it. He's had it at least 10, 15 years. He's going to have looked after it. And little did I know, he did not look after it. <laughs> Turns out old guys are not to be trusted. 
If it only was, the world knew. Uh, yeah, <laughs> old guys are not to be trusted, and old guys are, are filthy creatures. And I don't mean that in the uh, in the rubbing your thighs kind of way. I mean <laughs> literally dirty, because that car was hanging like the missus wouldn't get in it. Oh my lord! Um, and when I when I took all the seats out, it was it was just. Uh, I don't. Oh, that sounds just horrific. I've yeah. yet to have that experience with a car, and I look forward to never having it. Everybody thinks COVID was a man in China eating a bat. It wasn't. It was me cleaning the interior on that eight hundred. I knew you were to blame. It's it's ground zero in Bristol. That's where it was. Yeah, it's. Uh, oh, I mean, it's nice now, but it's it was, it, it was vile. Did 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 you take that to uh, people to sort out for you, or did you have to do that all yourself? I I've completely redone the interior myself, apart from the driver's seat, which somebody gave me a spare rear seat, so I had the right leather, and I went to um, I went up to Conway, and Craig Hughes from Salvage Hunters did my driver's seat. Oh, lovely. Oh, that's really nice. He uh, he stitched a new bolster on t- into it, so it's all all my all, my, all my Ricaros are well sick now. Nice, nice. Good to have sick Ricaros. Absolutely. The funny thing with with your Rover eight hundred experience, actually, you're reflecting on it as you were saying, like you kind of willing them to do well. Um, it, it did make me think that a little bit of what the sort of retro stuff is. Not all of it, but some of the way people modify their cars is almost to try and get the car to where you kind of wish it had been when it came out of the factory sometimes. Yeah. You know, like, replace the bits that keep on failing with stuff that doesn't keep on failing. Um, maybe, like, hot up the engine a little bit and make it handle a little bit better. Like, I, I kind of, I really like that sort of approach sometimes. Like, nothing has, it doesn't have to be massive projects with engine swaps and all that kind of things, but just particularly with British cars, just mm. sort of fixing up where they were cutting corners and doing things a little bit wrong because... Good old British cars. Yeah, there's there's, there's a lot to be done there, and I, I I like that approach. I think I mean I like any approach with cars. I think I think cars are a, they're mm-hmm. a, a canvas on which you you can sort of express yourself wildly, and I like that. But but yeah, I, I also subscribe to the as you say the improving it, and you know you take a car that was built in '95. You know a, a lot's happened since then, and you can buy parts and upgrades and stuff, and and you can. You can refine that car, which yeah, uh, which is quite a nice thing to do. Um, yeah, you know, you, yeah. You, you don't have to go full resto mod, but it's. I th- I don't think there's anything wrong with bringing a car up, um, to be a bit more modern and a bit a bit fresher. Yeah, I think particularly if you want to actually use it, you know, it's nice to have mm. a museum piece if you're, you know, just occasionally going to the odd show to show people this is what a, I don't know, a nineteen eighty five. Alpha Sud looked like. They do Alpha Sud in '85, anyway. Um, <laughs> and then um, that's fine. But like, if you were trying to daily that and and keep it alive, then it's possible you might want to make it a little bit more usable and less Alfa Romeo in its yeah. breaking downness. Uh, and you're talking of breaking down. What's the most stuck you've got in a car? Again, because you flirt with danger with your cars. The most stuck I've got in a car. Like the furthest from home without any method of getting back, that kind of thing. Or have you been fairly sensible your entire life and had the AA and such like? Oh no, no, no. no. I wouldn't. So it's only so. my it's only in my recent days that I have bothered with a green flag membership because because uh, I'm just I'm too old and impatient now. So I just <laughs> I just shout at things and then start crying. So it's better if I just have a breakdown firm. Um, <laughs> Wait, hold on. Is that mental breakdown firm or physical breakdown of the car firm? Just like something you could ring up and go, "Oh my god, I'm in a terrible place." Because uh, uh, I think we all need those a, little at from times. B. Yeah, yeah. I think we've all been there. <laughs> um, but what have I done? I did. Um, I think the furthest, and it, these weren't cars that were mine. This is back when I worked on Retro Ford magazine. Um, we did a story to celebrate an anniversary. I think it was 50 years of the Anglia and 40 years of the Capri. Um, so my boss decided we would take Ford Heritage, uh, their Anglia 105e, and their Capri 280, um, and drive them to Switzerland for some reason. So we did that. Um, so there was me and another large man um, in the Anglia, which was hugely comical. Um, but it's all right, because we had pork pies and Red Bull, so we were set. 
Um, <laughs> and, and my boss went off in the Capri. Um, so we're somewhere in France, and I'm emptying all the cans of Red Bull out of the Anglia um, into the bin. And for some bizarre reason, at French services, you, you look in the bin at the French services, and it's it, it's like one of those um, one of those pictures that you see of a, of a of a sinkhole, like you'll see in Mexico somewhere that's like four hundred foot deep. It, it it doesn't translate to what it looks like from the outside. It's just this huge like hole, and and me being an idiot, I threw all the cans in there, but I also threw the keys in there. <laughs> oh, nice. And bear in mind, this isn't my car. This is this is Ford's car, and also being a being an Anglia, the key was was about as big as your thumbnail. Um, so I had to go full A team. Um, the good thing about French service stations is they're generally well stocked. So I had to go full A team, and I bought an airline, a magnet, and some gaffer tape, and I managed to fish it out of the bin. Amazing, absolutely um, amazing. And then on the, on the same trip, we got to Switzerland and the Capri started leaking, um, started leaking water. And it turns out the water pump was, was failing. And we're like, well, this, this is bad because we're in Switzerland. Um, and the guy we'd gone over to meet who had an Anglia and some other old Ford guys, um, he phones up this Euro car parts equivalent and they just have a water pump on the shelf for a 2.8 cologne. Um, <laughs> So we go down and get it, and then it's just this massive debacle of being lost in translation, and we ended up in this random Swiss man's garage who didn't speak a word of English, and him and his wife were just offering us ham and cheese while we're trying to fix this water pump. <laughs> and we don't have a viscous fan spanner, so we're, we're, we're fighting desperately with it. But we, we got it done, and we put this new water pump on it, and, and, and it was fine, and it got home, but it was just the most bizarre... Superb. It, it was bizarre that they had one in stock, and it was just it, where we were fitting it in in this man's garage. If you walked out of the garage, it looked like you were on the front of a Swiss packet of chocolate. It was that kind of backdrop. It was just really weird. I love it. That is, that is the sort of experience you can only have when you break down in a car somewhere yeah. foreign, and and just periodically being offered ham and cheese. What more could you want? Oh, ham and cheese at any given opportunity. Ham, cheese, and viscous fans. Brilliant. (laughs) It's got to be the name of your autobiography. (laughs) Um, Right, what car surprised you the most? Oh. And I mean in a good way, not a wheel suddenly fell off. Um. Although that reminds me, we do need to come and talk to to you about your car where the steering wheel would come off. I will Um. make a note. But yes, what surprised you the most in a good way? Um, I worked for um, a magazine called Mog for a few years, which was for Morgans. Um, the magazine. And obviously I got to drive pretty much every Morgan. Um, and they were they were surprising uh, in a good way. I mean, the um, you'll remember I, I turned up to the gathering one year in a in a... Hundred and fifty thousand pound aero coupe. Yes, um, you did. It was really nice. It, which was what a but what an absolutely lunatic machine. Um, it's Morgan is a weird place. Like when you go to the factory, there's you know you walk around and when the T bell goes, all the tools drop, um, and they all run run for a brew. And you know you walk around and in, in the back of one workshop, there's just a man in his pants hitting a bit of metal with a wooden mallet and. It just looks slightly unhinged. It's it's a really weird place. Is he employed by the company or is he just there? Everyone's too afraid to ask. Okay. He's been he's been there too long now. <laughs> uh, it's you know it's it's a weird little trapped in place time, but the cars they knock out. You know the you've got the the plus four and the and the four fours which are very traditional and um, still great fun. Um, bit bump steery, but great fun. And then you've got the the V six stuff. You know, me and uh, me and Bruce Bruce Holder took a, a V six, which is like all the power, but still a ladder chassis, uh, still a steel ladder chassis. Um, we we took one to Ireland and back, and it just you fall in love with them. They're just really, really surprising. And and the aero cars with the aluminium sort of bonded chassis and all that, they're just staggering. They're 
they take a bit of mastering because you know you've you've got no um you've got no computers or anything to to protect you um it's just it's very much man and machine um but they're just huge amounts of fun and i don't think people realize how impressive those aero cars are no i think it's partly because they look a lot like the older mm. effectively wooden framed cars as i would refer to them and uh you, you don't necessarily register quite how much has changed underneath that fairly traditional looking skin even though it's you know it's more modern looking skin mm. um it, it it's not the car it once was the car it once no. was is still very nice but um yeah those aero cars are, are something else and the other thing the other car as well is a three-wheeler which is just like nothing else yeah i if if you're ever presented with the opportunity to drive one drive one they look like fun because they're they're just they're, they're bonkers it's just the noise, the smells, the, the it's it's the, it's such a cliche word for motor journalist, but it is the most visceral thing you can drive. It's you know, it's one step removed from a motorbike, as far as I can tell. But yeah, well, it's a, it's a, a v, good way. It's a V twin engine. Yeah, yeah, wonderful things. Um, so let's have a look here. Um, right now, you've had a lot of cars. We know this. We will Many. come on to your in, your insane steering wheel thing in a minute, but you also write about a lot of cars, and um, your obviously your whole blog is around the these sort of cars that are relatively inexpensive at the moment. Mm. What manufacturer consistently seems to give you more bang for your buck than you were expecting? Oh, that's a good question. When you say a bang for buck. Are we talking within the within the remit of not too grand or Yeah, I'd say. Like, you know, you could go a little bit up on that if you want to, but we're not like saying you were surprised by how good a, a ninety thousand pound car was mm. because it's still quite expensive. But um yeah, like, you know, some somewhere under sort of five or six and, and you're, you're you're laughing. I think there's there's three. Um Ford is always a good one. I could have a website just about Ford, um, because they it's it's a numbers game. They make so many of them, they soon get cheap, and you can go out and buy something fully loaded, all the bells and whistles, for not a lot of money. Um, BMW are the same because they make so many cars that they just end up cheap. Um, you know, E thirty nine, E thirty eight. You can you can even get E sixty fives for four grand, like. You know, go up to five or something. You can get a V twelve one. It's like that's lunacy. Um, and it's again, it's got all the bells and whistles. And controversially, MG, because mm. you look at the you look at the ZS V six, the ZT ZT Touring. Um, you know, head head gasket jokes aside, the MGF was and MGTF were brilliant little cars. Um, before they started overheating. Um, you know, and they and they filled them with leather and alloy wheels and all the all the tricks and all the bells and whistles and and they're generally enthusiast owned, so they're not hammered by the time you get to buy one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's yeah. That's the thing I guess to to keep an eye on is uh, previous owners and also the possible attitude of previous owner when purchasing yeah. a slightly cheaper car. Yeah, so like pe- people get excited because big executive cars get end up really cheap. Um. But what people forget is the the cars end up cheap, but the the maintenance and running cost doesn't get any cheaper. So they, about it. they fall into the hands of people that try and run them on a shoestring and they can't do it. So yeah. you you see that cheap E38 for a £1,000, but it's not an oil change for five years. You know, it's that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. I, I think um, I, I was talking to someone about, about this before. <clears throat> I've got a real thing for the Maserati Gran Turismo's that came yes. out a few years ago and they're gradually descending in price and i was sort of vaguely waiting for them to to cross over into to the realm of car that i would be able to approach and then someone reminded me that their servicing costs have not gone down in that time and um like it's the cost of a car to service them i was like oh yeah, yeah. that that's that's the thing that happens which I is mean, also well, a reason you, you, not to get a Mercedes S-Class as well, I think. You've got to be looking at, what, 400 quid a corner just for tyres on one of them? Yep. Yeah, it's insane. 
It's uh, yeah. I, I, one day, maybe, maybe when I've lost my mind, I'll actually buy a Maserati. <laughs> but, um, that's how, that's how you need to go. No, you need to go and get me checked up. Um, you'll be you'll be the man in the Maserati running a set of Linglongs. <laughs> just yeah, just just like running it on on steels because one of the alloys cracked and I can't afford to uh, just like like sixteen inch steels all round on Linglongs. Perfect. Set of, set of Linglongs <laughs> and it's fill up with ten thirty from ASDA. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Brilliant. That's me. That'll keep the engine going. Um, so actually probably in a, in a fairly, uh, uh, nice segue, what are you unlikely to dip your toe into again, car wise, although you're a glutton for punishment. So I don't expect a, a reasonable answer from you. No, I, I, it all depends what, um, what comes up at a time when I've got a bit of disposable income. Um, I, I generally have, have the mantra of I won't own the same car twice. Um, because there's so much stuff out there, but you know there are things like I've had a, I've had an E39, but it wasn't very good, and I didn't have it very long, so I'd I'd quite like to experience a nice one, um, and I'd quite like to experience another E38, um, but other than that, I I generally wouldn't have anything I'd, ha- I'd I've had before, um, because I you know it's I like to have new things and new experiences and new failures well yeah it it it, it keeps you uh um moving forwards i i keep on wanting to buy another alpha 33 and my wife tells me that you can't repeat the past and i must move forwards i think it's just because she doesn't like alpha 33s but um i think it's a legitimate point yeah <laughs> uh, um so what's your top tip for future glory i'm guessing you've got your eye on things as they're they're moving around um price wise Ooh. Oh, now he's asking. I just want to know what I need to buy now. Actually, no, what I need to not buy now, what I need to wait for. <laughs> um. Oh, so you want things that are coming down? Yeah, I guess so. so, so something that, or, or something that people haven't quite clued onto yet. Maybe it's already in the right price point, but mm. they're not quite there yet in the in, in the public eye. I've. Uh, I write a thing for for the uh, for my actual job um, at Car and Classic, which is called "The Time Is Now," and it's about cars that are sort of at the bottom of their depreciation curve. Um, so some of the things I've written about in there the most recently was the Alfa Romeo One Six Six because there's so few of them, mm. and I think if you get a V Six one and look after it, they they are going to go up. Um. So there's that early TTs, Audi TTs. I think getting an early, clean, unmodified one, um, they're going to be sought after. Uh, Ford Puma. Ford Puma's yeah, a no, definite. That's another. Your your um, Ian talked about that last uh, well last week as, as far as this podcast concerned. Um, just how good a car that is as well, which I never knew. I never knew that was a a, mm. a, a sort of a good car, quote unquote. Yeah, amazing to drive, great to look at, loads of support for them, and and they're absolutely bargain basement at the minute. They're they're three figure cars, and soon there'll be very few left, and people will start paying a premium for them. Um, you know they're they're of that era, aren't they? The the sort of late nineties, you can still work on it yourself era. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's the post two thousand OBD two everything that that's what will kill enthusiast cars. Because they're they're harder to work on because it's not nuts and bolts. You've got to fight a you've got to fight a, a, a digital readout somewhere. Um, whereas the Puma is is of that last era where it's still nuts and bolts and spanners, and you can do it yourself on your driveway. Um, and it's just a cheeky, fun little car. And you know they they suffered badly from rust, and they also suffered badly from being modified by people called Gary. Um, so you know, keeping a keeping a nice stock one on the on the cabbage shredder alloys, and you know that's still got the original billet gear knob and all that. It's um, yeah, they'll 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 start going up in value. That's uh, yeah. I think they're also one of those cars that, I mean, if people I'm not, I'm not big in on car investment as such, but if people are looking to invest, you kind of have to look at what people wanted 
when they got their first car, if you see mm. what I mean. Like, like if they could have afforded it, they'd have got that, or they'd want like the GTI version of their their first car or whatever. So, uh, mm. yeah, I think that's a good 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 tip. It's not not always Ferraris. It's, no, uh, the, sometimes the it's Ford Humors. The the hot hatch stuff. You know, you you see it all the time. A, cu- a couple of years ago, we had a. We had that Series One RS Turbo, which, to be fair, was a, it was an unrestored survivor car, and it was mint. And that went for sixty-two thousand pound. And and three-door three-door RS Cosworth Sierras are doing hundred thousand pound at auction now. That's insane. Things are going mad. You know, it's 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 the stuff people at seventeen wanted but couldn't have, and now at thirty-five, forty, with a bit of disposable, can buy. And they're they're fighting themselves for it. So. You know, Calibras, Astra GTEs, Golf GTIs, Golf VR6s. It's all that stuff that's... They want an original one. They want one that's not been modified. They want one that's low miles. You know, there's a company in Bristol called UKD Auto, and, and they're very good at what they do, and I'm not affiliated with them in any way. But just, just as an example, they sell Mark II Golf GTIs for, you know, into five figures, and they don't hang around. No, that's the thing. The market is there for them. I think yeah. that, uh, like, you often see people kind of scoff at the price of some of these cars, um, but they sell. So yeah. there is a market for really nicely turned out, probably highly original cars. Yeah, um, but, and we uh, can we, we can see it with car, with car and classic. We have we have a sort of back end on it, um, and it's got all the data from fifteen years of this site being there. And it's got, I mean, it's it's not exact, but it's it's close enough. And it's all the pricing data of cars that have been reported as sold and this, that, and the other. And you can see the sort of rise and fall of some cars, and you can you can see which way they're going, and or which way the you can you can look historically and see how a car performed ten years ago and, and what what's happened to it since. And it's it's always the ones you don't suspect, you know. It, it's it's fun to take the mick out of maestros, but you you put a you put a maestro turbo up now, and you know you can ask what you want for it. Yeah, because yeah. it's that nostalgia thing. Yeah, it, it, the, the people sort of buying that are, are the are the that even older generation that have got mm. more disposable income um, than, than sort of the the those just hitting middle age and wanting a second car that they had when they were. Uh, or would have liked to have had when they were seventeen, I guess. Yeah, yeah that's that, that's sort of super. And I, I'm wondering whether or not there is a world in which things like um, Gran Turismo will influence the desirable cars, um, because people may not have necessarily had them or known someone that had one as they were were a, a kid playing games or even as a, a youth playing games, but like in their there's still that connection in their their brain to like a Mazda Demio because well, I was just that's about the first to mention car you were Demio. given. You, you, yeah. you put a picture of a Demio on social and someone will go Gran Turismo. Yeah, because it's, it's it mad. was one of the first cars you could buy. That and the Mark III Supra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or I, the Primera. It, it's it's interesting. I, I think that that there's a there's going to be a, a, a weird generational shift, perhaps, but I don't know which way it will go. Like like. What will what will come out of it? Um, whether or not it would just be those halo cars that were the ones that they really really wanted, so like the 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 top end Supras and and all of that kind of stuff that were in the game, or whether or not there will be a connection to the sort of bog standard commuter models that you could buy at the beginning of the game. Um, time will tell, I am sure. Yeah, I, I hope for the latter because yeah, I think yeah. I think Gran Turismo was a great school of the weird. Yeah, it really works. Some very strange cars in there. I love it. And you know, uh, and on that note, I would, and I'm sure you will too, because I know you're you're partial to it. But just sort of semi-related, I would always encourage people to go and have a look on Yahoo auctions. Oh yeah, because you just there's this world of cars in Japan that you never knew existed. Yeah, just these weird, I've... wonderful little, and you you look at me like I'd need that. Yeah, so I want I, that. I, uh... I mean, I, I sort of sur- surfed around in um, Japanese cars for the last sort of 15 years, and I'm still finding stuff I'd never heard about. I, I don't understand. Like, A, who decided to make that car because it's very strange, mm. and B, why I'd never heard of it before, and now there's four of them for sale. And it's very strange. <laughs> That's great. And I knew definitely, definitely want one. Is there an, um, anything you're waiting to hit a sort of a Chris Pollitt price point at the moment 
stuff you're watching descend in price and thinking one day, one day that's going to be mine? Um, I'm, uh, it's not that I'd want, it's not that I want it to be mine, but I'm quite looking forward, forward to writing about things like uh, the Focus ST because that's that's going to dip. Mm. Um, it's nearly there. Um, but weirdly, I'm I'm quite happy with the stock I've got at the minute. I'm not I'm not after another car. So lovely. Um, it's a weird weird position for me. Um, there's there's a there's a fourth car waiting in the wings. Um, but that will be an addition, not a replacement. Um, hey. nice. which is a which is a maestro race car because that's sensible. Yeah, of course. Like, why wouldn't you have a maestro race car? Yeah, but when it's when it's really cheap, you you have to say yes. That's the law. Yeah, I I, I will I will take that off of your hands. Uh, <laughs> so um, we we got you got another sort of ten fifteen minutes of this. So mm-hmm. I want to make sure that you tell the listeners about and all I all I have in my head is the insane American car that you had. I can't even remember what it was. Was it a Nova, possibly? It was a no. 73 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. It's literally the worst car I've ever seen in my life, but I love it. Please yeah. tell us about it. Ugh, awful car. <laughs> awful, awful death on wheels. Um, what happened there? I worked. I was working for Vauxhall at the time. I was selling cars, and I, I had a good month, and I had some commission. So I was like, I'm going to buy a car, because that's sensible. Um, you know, should, could, could have paid debts or things like that, but no, I'll buy a car. So I went on, um, went on eBay and I saw this Oldsmobile and it was big and black and it was on staggered slot mags with white tire lettering. And I was like, yes, I need a bit of that. And it was just over the water in, in Lydney in Gloucestershire. So I went out and look and, and I bought this thing for 900 quid and it was the most abysmal car you've ever seen. Um, I mean, it was a taxed MOT'd 350 V8 two-door American car for 900 quid, so you can draw your own conclusions as to how good it was. Um, the slot mags were the best bit. Other than that, inside it looked like there'd been many, many murders. There was no dash. It was all handmade out of sheet steel. Um, if, you, if, you, if you showed it to anyone from Euro NCAP, they'd just fall over. It was just terrifying like there was chains to pull the doors shut um it was rock solid but because it was made of 730 patches of weld um there was very little original automobile left in the bottom of it the front headlights were held in by bathroom sealant it was painted chalkboard black none of the windows were the heater didn't work speed didn't work fuel gauge didn't work um gearbox barely worked uh it's it it smoked like a like a pub in the seventies. Um it handled terribly, the brakes didn't do much, it overheated, um the indicators gave up on the way home, so I had no indicators, but the indicators weren't right anyway. They were from a beetle and from a and, and they were truck marker lights on the back that were just glued on. Um <laughs> it was leaky, it was horrible, and I loved it. Because it was just <laughs> stupid, um, and it was. I took it to. I took it to the gathering. What was that? It was 2012, wasn't it? I took it. Um, uh, yeah, it, was, it would have been been the last at Prescott, I think. So it yeah, was. Yeah, it was Prescott. So I took it there, and I can't remember who's. It might have been. It might have been Riz. Was it Riz's boy that was in it? Someone. Someone's kid was in it. And they were aggressively waggling the steering wheel. And then someone else, I can't remember who, pointed out that the wheels just were not moving at all. And that's that's when we discovered that the one thing that was really, really good on it was the power steering. Because <laughs> the, the steering wheel had such a, such a small amount of grip on the steering column. Because there were no splines left on it. It was, it was completely smooth. Jeez. Um, but the it had just enough grip, and the power steering was so good that when it was when it was running, it it steered. But when it was parked, you could just free turn the wheel like a like a uh, arcade unbelievable. machine. Unbelievable! 
and I think it, I think it might have been Rich Goose and Bruce. I can't remember who. There was a lot of alcohol that weekend, um, but basically it, they shimmed it out with a with a Pepsi can, um, so that it had a bit more traction, and and that's how I drove it home. <laughs> Good. What happened to that car? This is the best bit. It's the it's one of the cars that I've owned that still exists. Oh my god! <laughs> a guy, a guy bought it off eBay for eight hundred quid. He was pleased as punch with it. Um, he drove it all the way back to Milton Keynes, and he's done loads of work to it. Um, he was on Facebook, but he's he's disappeared now. So I don't I don't know what's happening with the car. But he drag raced it. He rebuilt the engine, new windscreen, sort the electrics out. Oh, had a whale of a wonderful. time with it. Oh, I like that. that. That's a that's a happy ending for for what was a terrifying car. Oh, it was just I don't I don't know what I was thinking. I think it's one of the, it's another one. It's a, it's a great car to say I had, but it was it was awful actually having it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know that feeling. Um, so I'm gonna one of my my stock kind of questions is always what's the scariest car you've been in, and I'm not going to be presumptuous and say that was it, but um, was that it? Was that the scariest car you've been in? I suppose somebody else's car could be worse. Um, no, that was that wasn't it. Uh, that was because you you knew you knew that was that was just terrifying by way of existing. Um, you you knew sort of to expect the worst with that. What's the scariest car I've had? I mean, I've had a lot. I've had a lot of bad cars. I don't know if there's any. I don't know if there's because I've got, I've got quite a, quite a lot, quite a lot of mechanical sympathy. So, unless something falls off, um, I mean, I would say the the Morgans, the the modern sort of aero cars, they're quite scary just because there's so little car around you. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and, and, and they're quick as well. That, yeah, I mean the the you know you you get in one of them that's got a four point eight V eight in it from a from a Beamer and no weight over the back. They're they're quite scary because if you get that wrong, you you don't you don't bump into a wall and go, oh, I'm so silly. You bump into a wall and die. It's, there's there's no crumple zone. There's you know, uh, I'm sorry if that sounds morbid, but there's you know the the doors are an inch thick and that's it. Yeah. Um, I- it, it's one of those um, right time and right place cars again. I think that uh, yeah. you have to be careful where it is you're you're hooning around in a yeah. You know, you a you've been one of them, era. and you and and you can't you can't afford for that cabin to get any smaller because you're already hemmed into it. So yeah, ca- cars of that ilk, I think, are inherently that they, they have you a bit more alert and a bit more on edge because you've you've you, you, you've lost that safety net. I think yeah, maybe that that that's definitely part of the appeal of them as well. I I think because it's yeah, absolutely sort of a little little bit on the edge um, of uh, of sensibility. Yeah, definitely. Uh, right. Well, we're we're coming crashing towards a conclusion. I think I've uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this because you are um, just fabulous chapter chapter. Um, <laughs> Too kind. What what's your uh, posting schedule like on not too grand? I, I sort of uh, I, I pop in, dip in, and dip out, but I, I'm never sure when when you're going to be up. Um, it, it varies. I try and do stuff at the weekends because obviously Car and Classic is uh, is a hungry beast. So yeah. and, and, and Car and Classic is the one that pays the rent. So um, well, yeah, and and you're doing great work there. I, I'm I've been really enjoying the the, the Car and Classic stuff. That, that that's been been good. You're doing you're appearing in videos and such like um, a bit more nowadays as well. I, I yes, see. yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start doing more of that with uh, with with Car and Classic, and uh, there'll be more of that with Not Too Grand as well. We've just um, I say this as factual. I'm no obligation to go and look at it, but we've just launched a sort of shop for not too grand. The idea being, if it does make any money, then we can put that into doing video stuff. Yeah, yeah, similar um, story here. So it's you know it all becomes self fulfilling. Um, so yeah, the you know not too grand is as and when I can, or as and when I have a bit of inspiration. Car classics every day. Um, but yeah, I'm normally always writing something. It's it's the only thing I'm good at. I don't believe that for a second, and you know that, Chris. But um, <laughs> but you are good at it. Um, yeah, I, I'm. 
I, I saw you popped up in one of the Johnny Smith videos as well, sort of lurking around in a background somewhere. How did that come about? Um, I think you'll find Johnny Smith popped up in my video. Oh, was it the other way around? Uh, yeah. Was it, was it the Jag? Oh, yeah, it was. It was the other way around. Johnny Smith turned up. Were you just at the same place at the same time? What happened there? Um, the We got that because that farm belongs to Johnny's friend, Simon. So Johnny's like, let's go and dig this Jag out. And I was a bit apprehensive about it because I didn't think people would be interested because there's no... Um, there's no conclusion. There's no getting the car to run. There's, you know, it was just a very rotten car. Yeah. Um, and how wrong I was. Uh, people loved seeing us dig this thing out because it was it was so special. In that Simon's dad parked it up in '75, and it hadn't moved since. And yeah. I, I've been to this farm four times, and I still can't find it without sat nav. It's in the middle of nowhere, down on the down on the Somerset levels. So. The car wasn't vandalized. It wasn't smashed up. But it was it, it was parked and left. So it was a proper sort of time team thing. We we lifted the roof off it. The, the roof had just rusted off it, but all the B pillars had fallen. It was fascinating. Um, so we dug that out, and and yeah, we we're doing another one. We've got a Mark II Transit to dig out, which we'll do in a couple of weeks. Oh, lovely. No, we do uh, we do like uh, a little bit bit of John, Johnny Smith, and and you had uh, yeah, no, it's really nice, it's a really good. Uh... Really good little video. Very pleased. So looking forward to that. So some more videos from you. Um, in the meantime, we can find you uh, making Car on Classic uh, an even better place than it already is. Um, and not too grand um, as and when you can. Indeed. So, um, that is superb. Well, we wish you luck with all of your uh, cars, particularly the uh, Rover. I hope you don't have a repeat experience as complete as the last one. <laughs> it's coming back from the garage next week it should be done today so i have i have high hopes fingers crossed for everything um yes thank you for your time and um, we know you are a crazy busy man so um uh, we are we are thankful for taking some time out to talk to us no thank you for having me it's been a pleasure um we'll be back uh in the future um i don't know what's going to be happening the world's a crazy place <laughs>